my own? I'll try that again. Good evening. Good evening. I'm on. My own. There you go. Um, couple things up front. I may have to uh, exit for just a moment. Uh, discovered about 45 minutes ago that I have a flat tire, and that, that's just wonderful. And so uh, the triple A guy is on his way, and I have to prove that I really am who I am. So uh, may need to ask, ask you to talk about uh, something or uh, pray together or something. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up. A uh, couple of things uh, to just point your attention to. I'm very excited about this weekend uh, and all that it is going to involve. Uh, ladies, Friday night is all about you, and you will be right in here. It'll look a little bit different. If you've got questions about Friday night, you can talk to my wife. You can talk to Karen, or you can sign up right over here, or the sign-ups right over there. Guys, Saturday is all about us, uh, and so uh, to, from 2 to 6, we'll be at the backyard enjoying some activities, uh, and enjoying uh, both those days. We'll be focused on Philippians 1 and 2. Um, we uh, are two of our speakers were supposed to be here this morning, uh, but they missed their flight, and so they're going to be here this evening, and so that'll be great. And so you're going to love Dee Dee. For those of you who were here last year and got to know Dee Dee Williams, uh, her husband Andrew is coming with her. Uh, just as I guess he's a chaperone. I'm not sure if that's how yeah, that works, but uh, Dee Dee's wonderful and is uh, closer and closer ever to becoming Dr. Dee Dee Williams. And then uh, Garrett and Brittany Hodges, who are going to be working with our students. If you've got students and uh, They've got activities on Saturday if you want to get them signed up. Uh, Garrett and Brittany are good uh, friends of Julie and I's from the seminary. Uh, they will be here. They're driving tomorrow, so you can be praying for them. And then uh, Bryant Wright, who is going to be speaking to our men and then preaching on Sunday. Dee Dee is also doing the Bible Fellowship Hour on Sunday morning. Bryant Wright is the pastor that married Julie and I and obviously did a pretty good job because it stuck and um, or I'm just too scared to leave. Um, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. And, and not a funny one after it came. Like in here it was funny but then it came out here and it was like I'm a dead man. I'm glad she's going with you to pick up Dee Dee. Um, I love you, and I think, I think you're wonderful. I am. <laughs> That's our marriage, folks, right there. Um, and and Bryant is uh, was the pastor at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church for uh, a number of years. Uh, about I think he was the founding pastor, and he was there for about 35 years ish. And now he is the president of Send Relief, which is the disaster relief organization of the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, very excited about the weekend. Uh, we've got a good number of folks signed up. Uh, this is something that I think is taken, and I think we'll be doing it for a few years at least in the future. Other thing, uh, but if you would need to sign up. Those signups are right over there and, and from there. Um, last thing I, I need to announce, I wasn't planning on announcing this uh, yet, uh, but I, I need to announce it tonight and then I'm going to say it again on Sunday. Don't you love it when people are excited? I would rather people be excited than not. And so um, some of you may know that we made a small transition, not really a small transition, we made a transition this past fall. Uh, we just began to realize that between her responsibilities with the preschool and the growth of the preschool, as well as the growth of our children's ministry, that the, the, the responsibilities were becoming more than Laura Sink had time, uh, energy, or really her bandwidth was kind of exploding. And so we... Took, made the decision to step her back into the role just of being the preschool director and that we would begin a search for a, a bivocational children's minister. 
In the meantime, Sarah Aiken, uh, who you, many of you have interacted with already, Sarah has led some of our children's choir type stuff. She does our Wednesday nights with the, with the kids. Uh, she is the wife of Davey, who is our pastoral ministry associate, and he does a lot with our media. He's also now serving down there with our middle school students, uh, which, by the way, thank you for praying for that last week. It, it kicked off wonderfully. The Sarah has stepped in as our interim, uh, but never planned to, to be the full-time person, so we just began praying. Uh, we had entered into a relationship with a young lady named Jen Abercrombie. Jen was actually here for vacation Bible school. Uh, Jen had felt led to step away from her position at the church in Kansas City uh, and was going into sort of a consultant kind of a role. And after just a season of time, I just looked at her and said, wouldn't it be better if you consulted from somewhere? Like you had a home-based church where you were, you know, trying stuff out and then you could go to consult. And, and I just, you know, she was... We bantered back and forth, and after the opportunity came, I said, hey, what about us? You know, what do you think God's doing? And she has uh, one in college and one who's getting ready to graduate, one who's getting ready to graduate this coming June, and, I, and we just kind of began in this conversation. And so um, Jen jumped the gun a little today, and Jen put it on Facebook, and we hadn't had a chance to share because she's excited about being here. But uh, I am excited to announce that in next June, we're going to give her the time, and Sarah's going to keep us moving forward, and she's going to be working with Sarah. Um, but Jen and Jamin uh, are going to be moving here uh, in June of 2022 to be our new ch uh, family and children's minister. So I am super excited excited about that. And um, I, and then this one I am going to, I, I will have other news in a couple of weeks weeks as well that I'm super excited about. But here's the, here's the short end of that. Um, God's at work. I, I just need you to know God's at work. Um, and it's very, very humbling. And it's very, very exciting. Uh, it is neat to be a part uh, of God doing something. Um, Karen and I both have testimony, and, and you probably do too, of having the privilege of being of having a front row seat to watch God do something that you know you couldn't do, and you're just excited to be a part of it. Just excited to be a part of it. All right, tonight we are in Daniel. So if you go ahead and take out your sheet, I'm going to give you some of that. Uh, I'm going to give you some seminary training here. Just kidding. Uh, I'm going to kind of walk through a couple of timelines, uh, one that is of particular interest to me, uh, and then, again, if, if I need to head out there to prove I am who I am uh, to the AAA guy, uh, I'll figure out something for you to talk about. Um, in, well, hello. In 605 B.C., in 605, that's the first blank, in 605 B.C., Jerusalem uh, is taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you're going to get to know three or four names uh, during the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. And so uh, in 605 B.C., Jerusalem is taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this is when Daniel, along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who end up becoming Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they are all taken uh, as a part of the exile to Babylon. They are exiled to Babylon, and that's chapter 1. In 602, uh, Daniel and company, uh, they complete the three years of, of training to be a part of, of, of the Babylonian Empire, the power of the Babylonian army. 
And then in, in that same year, that's when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. We'll talk a little bit about it. And Daniel not only um, interprets it, but he actually has to explain it first. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar takes the dream to his, uh, I think they call them wise counsel in some translation. Uh, in some translations, they call them seers. Uh, but he takes it to his guys and he it's almost like he knows they're charlatans. He knows they're slicksters. And he and they're like, if you'll just tell us the dream, we'll interpret it for you. And he's like, that's not how this is going to work. I'm, I'm, I need you to tell me my dream. And then I need you to interpret my dream for me. And that's what happens in 602. In 586 BC, uh, this is when in this period of time that Jerusalem and the temple are both destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, so that's a big deal. Anytime you're in this, roller coaster of the nation of Israel, you want to follow uh, what's happening to the people of God, but you also want to follow what's happening to the place of God, which is going to be Jerusalem, but you also want to pay particular attention to what is happening to the position of God. You've got the people of God, you've got the place of God, but you've also got the position which would be in the temple. That's where the position, that's where the presence of God, that's maybe a better P word to use there, the presence of God would have been, and the people would have met with him. So as you're following following the nation of Israel with their ups and downs when they're involved in judgment, when they're involved in healing or rebuilding or being restored or reconciled, it's usually going to, you, you can follow what's happening in Jerusalem and what's happening with the temple. So that was 586. In 539 in, in Daniel, that's in chapter 5, where we have Belshazzar, he has this feast, and you may be familiar with the story of the handwriting on the wall, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And that is also when Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, he uh, conquers Babylon and he begins his reign. And we'll talk, we won't talk as much about that, but it, it goes with the timeline. And 538 is when the Jews return to Judea and they, they are allowed to start rebuilding the temple. About 50,000 uh, start going. You've got Zerubbabel and, and uh, Joshua, who they are priests. Uh, I think, excuse me, Joshua is a priest. Uh, Zerubbabel is one of the chosen. And that's, uh, they lead that and they begin working with the people. And then in 522 BC, uh, the temple reconstruction is sort of abruptly stopped, but then it starts again under Darius I. Uh, and that's, again, you follow what's happening with the health of the people of Israel by following what's happening with Jerusalem and the temple. And it's into, in, it ends up being completed in 515. That's just some timeline type of information, but the next one is the one that get really intrigues me because when we read books, we read chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and we're able to kind of go forward, but Daniel is a little bit different. If you're looking in chronological order, Chapters one through four are first, that's uh, the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, that's the dreams and the visions of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, that's where we're going to get into um, their food. Uh, they're not wanting to eat what everybody else was eating, uh, their faithfulness to, to God and not to, not to Nebuchadnezzar. It's also in chapter three where, where we'll get the story of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. These may or may not be stories that you're familiar with, and that's okay. There are really three uh, stories that are very familiar or somewhat familiar in the book of, of Daniel. Uh, that's the fiery furnace, that's the handwriting on the wall, and that's Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, and then uh, the rest is a lot of visions, a lot of prophecies, and a lot of interpretations. 
From one through four, you're, chronologically speaking, you really go to chapters seven and eight. And chapters seven and eight are the visions of four beasts and then another vision of the ram and the goat. And this is during Belshazzar's reign. So you go one, two, three, four, and then you go seven, eight. Then chapter five is Belshazzar's feast. So you've kind of had the visions and then you're at Belshazzar's feast and the handwriting on the wall situation. From chapter five, you're gonna to go to chapter nine. And that's the vision of 70 weeks. And now you're under Darius. And then you go to chapter six, which is Daniel in the lion's den. That's also Darius. And then you round out the book with chapters 10 through 12. And that is the glorious one vision as well as the prophecies that are happening under Cyrus. So what I want to ask you to do, we're going to kind of have times for you to read and react uh, tonight and then answer a couple of questions. So I want you to go ahead and I want you to look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. I want somebody at the table to read it, and then I'd like you to ask and answer amongst yourselves question number 1, both parts of the question. So you read Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21, somebody do that, and then look at question 1, and then we'll talk about it in just a second. On your mark, get set, go. The rebuilding of the temple was 522. It started again in 520 and it was completed in 515.
about another minute. So Daniel and his friends had to make a determination on what parts of the Babylonian culture they, they were willing to take part in and which parts of the culture that they were not. Um, I don't think that is a far-fetched from the, the world that we live in. How do we make our determinations? God's work. Did somebody ever hear say Jesus? <laughs> hey, that was a great answer. What would Jesus do? Like, hey, the, brace, the bracelet works. Yeah. What it, you know, does it contradict God's law? Does it contradict the word of God? Um, you know, we, we, I was talking with some friends the other day. We'll actually have them come and share their story in a couple of weeks. But we had some friends uh, open up, a, uh, open up a, a pregnancy center in the Palm Bay area. Uh, they're, they're helping start it. And, and, and we were having dinner with them and sharing with them back and forth of different. They were sharing with us their testimony. And, and I said, it, I was just sharing with them. It's one of those fine lines that you walk as a, as a, as a pastor or anybody. You, you stand on the sanctity of life, but you... You also want those who have, who have gone through that to know that they are loved, there's forgiveness, there's redemption, there's restoration. You, you, we're not here to, to condemn. Um, we're here to, to re reconcile and restore and redeem and love and serve and, and wrap our arms around people and at the same time stand on the, the firm foundation of God's Word and what it teaches us about life. And not just life from, from, from conception and birth, but life all the way through the process. I, I love Miss Marie and, and the ice cream truck because I love ice cream, but I also love Miss Marie and the ice cream truck because one of the things that she is doing is she is using uh, teenagers with special needs uh, to, to serve and, and to go with her to different places. Uh, I love um, I love what uh, one of my good friends um, in the Birmingham. He just has a a gift uh, to to go into assisted livings and places like that, and and he'll spend hours there because that's that's what he loves to do and to love love the marginalized. And, and, and when we say sanctity of life, we're not just talking about the unborn. We're talking about the whole process. And why do we why do we stand on that? Because it's it's in God's word. Um, the the color of our carpet doesn't matter. The, the, the color of the chairs that we have purchased, that, that really doesn't matter. Um, as long as the, the songs that we sing are sound theologically and are doctrinally accurate and are biblically founded, to be honest, the style of the music that we do doesn't really matter. Now, we're all, we've all got our preferences, and, and we're never going to get up there. Now, as long as I'm here, we're never going to get up there and do, like, rap. You know, that's, that's just not my genre, you know. Um, but, you know, we're not going to have this battle of this or that. We're going to pick our battles based on uh, what God's word. And that's really what Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing here is they are saying because the food that they're, they're being provided for, the wine they're being provided for has other uses, uh, is 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 gearing towards putting them towards a different direction. They're they're saying no. We're we're here to be set apart. 
We're just because we've been exiled, just because we've been taken captive, doesn't mean we have lost who we are. It doesn't mean that we have lost our set apartness. Y'all, just because uh, we are in this world does not mean that we have to become like it. It does mean that we go out into it. It does mean that we, uh, we pierce the darkness, so to speak, with the light of Christ that's in us. Um, and it, 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 doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean that everything's a war. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything's a battle. Sometimes it's just standing and just standing uh, and, and go from there. So, so Daniel and his, in his, in this company are having to make these decisions. Look at chapter 2. And I want you to go ahead and do the same thing with chapter 2, verses 25 through 45. I want you to read, and then I want you to look at questions 2 and 3. And then we're actually going to go through uh, something that's kind of interesting uh, about this, this, this question and this passage. So if you'll look at chapter 2, verses 25 through 45, that would be great. On your marks, set, go. It's a good stretch, so you might want to share it.
may not have gotten all the way through and that's okay. I, did, I definitely want you, wanted you to read it. But I will ask the first question. What did you notice about Daniel's response? Verse, uh, verse 28, verses 27 and 28. What did you notice? Do you, know, do you notice anything? Say it again. First thing right out of the chute. So Nebuchadnezzar comes to him. He wants answers. He wants a, he wants an interpretation. Uh, excuse me, Belshazzar. Uh, yeah, I was already the first time. Um, Arioch brings Daniel to, to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, okay, you're the one that can do this. And then Daniel answers the king, hey, there's not a wise man, a medium, or a magician. There's nobody who can really do this. He says, but there is a God in heaven. Daniel will spend his entire life pointing people to God. That's what he does. He's, he's doing these incredible, he'll have these incredible uh, life circumstances. He'll have these incredible visions, these interpretations, these prophecies. But what he'll constantly do throughout the book, throughout all 12 chapters, he will point people to God first thing. And, and by doing that, he is doing just that. Is it Aaron? Is that right? He's going to give God all the glory each and every time. And then we get into, and you probably got a little bit lost in this kingdom conversation. Uh, if you didn't, I'd be really, really surprised. Um, just because Daniel is, is not an easy book. It's shorter than Isaiah. It's shorter than Ezekiel. But because Isaiah is all about prophecy and foretelling and, and revelation, which we'll talk about in a second, it can be very, very tricky. So I want to walk through this. Kingdom one is the head of gold. Kingdom one is the head of gold, and that is King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the Babylonian Empire. Uh, that's going to last from 636 to 539 uh, B.C. Um, Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 7 says, There is a gold cup in the Lord's hand. And he's referring to the judgment, and he's referring to the Babylonian Empire. So Nebuchadnezzar is the, gold, is the head of gold, and that's the first kingdom. The second kingdom, which is going to be a little bit less, is going to be Darius the Mede and the Medo-Persian kingdom, Darius the Mede, which is going to be different from Darius the first, but Darius the Mede, and that's 539 to about five uh, to 330, 539 to 330. Darius is not going to last that all the time, but his, the kingdom will. The bronze kingdom is the third kingdom. The bronze kingdom is the third kingdom, and this is the one uh, that it says, uh, and then another, another, a third kingdom, which will rule the whole earth. The third kingdom is Alexander the Great. That's Alexander the Great in the Grecian kingdom, uh, the Greeks. And that's going to be 330 to 663 BC, and that is going to be widespread. That influence is going to be widespread for what would have been, as they knew it, the entire earth. Then you get to Kingdom 4. And Kingdom 4 is going to be iron and clay. So you've had gold, you've had uh, Darius is not really described, Kingdom 3 is bronze, but Kingdom 4 is iron and clay. And this is the Roman Empire. 
This is the Roman Empire, which is going to go from 63 BC uh, to about 8475-ish. Um, and so here's the thing about the iron and the clay, and here's what it's representing. It does represent the Roman Empire, but you have iron, which is strength. So with Ro the Roman government, you have a military, you have a government, uh, you, have a, uh, you have a message. Uh, they're always on message. The, their law is strong. Their government is strong. You have a military strength. But also in the Roman government, which is sort of stretched out, you have a mixture of cultures. You have a mixture of, of, of people groups. And so what happens is the mixtures don't always mix real well. And so there is a, there's constantly schisms in the people. You have the Roman government where the Roman government oppresses people. So now you've got a, uh, these layers and systems of folks that don't necessarily get along. And so that is a weakness. That's the clay part. Iron is the strength. Clay is the weakness. What is kingdom five? It's the kingdom of Christ. It is and it's not here at the same time. It has arrived because Jesus came into the world and he began, and he began to put it in motion. So the kingdom of, of Christ has begun, but we are, as you'll see in Daniel, uh, as you read it and as you begin to compare it to another book in the Bible, you'll see that it's also beginning to talk about the kingdom of Christ that is still to come. So the, the fifth kingdom that will last forever, the fifth, fifth kingdom whose reign will reign forever, he's actually not talking about a physical kingdom. So what is happening here is God began the nation of Israel. God, be, God set the people apart. God set the nation of Israel. God began this whole concept of, of a nation and of a people, of governments and of societies. And so there is a physical, there is a tangible, there is a visible kingdom that's happening. But God is now beginning to move as we go through the prophets. God is beginning to move from a tangible kingdom to a more spiritual conversation. And the people are missing it. And we'll miss it for ages. I mean, even John the Baptist, Baptist will, will keep saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about because we're now no longer talking about a government military system. We're now talking about a spiritual rule, a spiritual reign, and a kingdom of God that is going to last forever. Let's look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 30. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. You're, you're missing some of the story, but it's all going to be okay. This is after uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. Uh, he, he, they won't bow down. He builds this huge statue of himself uh, because, you know, who doesn't want that? And, and he tells everybody that they're going to bow down to him. And this is another one of those where, no, we're, God's word's been very clear. The, the Ten Commandments are very clear that we're not supposed to have any other idols. We're not supposed to bow down. We're not supposed to worship anything else. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, we're not doing it. It's not going to happen. I, I see that scene from one of the Avengers movies where, where Loki's walking around. He wants everybody to kneel before him. And there's that one, uh, one gentleman who doesn't go down. And I see that as Shadrach, Meshach, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, I'm not having this. We're going to throw them in the fiery furnace. And so they build this fire pit, and they make it so hot that even the guys getting near it, you know, they're toast. And then they're going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says that they, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire, furnace of blazing fire. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course you're mad. 
majesty, they replied to the king. And he exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone, that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You think they were looking for reward? Not at all. They just weren't going to bow. Was the fourth person Jesus? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say yes or no. It says he was like a son of the gods. Do I believe that it was Jesus? I think there's a high likelihood that it was, that it was a pre-incarnate Christ. I also believe that there's a third member of the Trinity that, could have, that it could have been. It could have been the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has not come yet. That's Pentecost. But there are a number of times where somebody make there are a number of times in the Old Testament where somebody makes an appearance and it's a little bit more than an angelic being. But, but can I say with dead certainty that that's, that's Jesus the Christ? No, I can't. So let's not read that in there just because we want it to be true. Do I believe it? I kind of do. I'm like 95% there. Okay. But what we do know is that he was, whoever it was, they were sent by God. And they, they created such a presence that the glory filled that, that place. And those three guys, here's what I think is so cool. This is where I love this story and I'll read it over and over again. The fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Got that. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Maybe they were bald. Their robes were unaffected, okay? It didn't touch their clothing. There, but here's, here's, where, here's the one that gets me. There was no smell of fire. In other words, I love that we serve a God of details. I'm going to cover every base here because I'm going to eliminate every excuse. I'm going to eliminate every possibility. They didn't even smell like they'd been near a campfire. Y'all ever smelled middle schoolers? You just know they're middle schoolers because they just smell like it from a mile away. There's no hiding it. You, you, you ever been camping? I've not, but you ever been camping? You've, you ever been near a campfire? You ever been near a fire? You can't get too close without smell. You can't roast marshmallows without smelling like you've been outside. They didn't even smell, they didn't have the scent on them. That's how meticulous God is about Nebuchadnezzar and the people understanding this moment.
What does it teach us? How could you possibly apply the fiery furnace experience to God's relationship with the nation of Israel? What God is telling the nation of Israel through these three young men and the fourth that's been added to their presence is, okay, here, you're my people and you are constantly going to be going through a fiery furnace. When you become one of my people, you're going to be put in the fiery furnace, whether it's a literal fiery furnace or whether it is the culture that I have placed you, the season and the time. But here's what I want you to know. I will be right there with you. Chapter four is uh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's, a, it's another dream that he has. Uh, and, and you go through there and, and then uh, Daniel interprets that. Uh, if you look at uh, verse, verse 28 of chapter four, uh, all these things happen. And, and what happens is Nebuchadnezzar goes up and Nebuchadnezzar goes down and Nebuchadnezzar goes up and Nebuchadnezzar goes down. He is one big roller coaster of, uh, he's just, uh, he might as well be bipolar, I, I think. I think, I think history, I'm not making a joke, I think history actually proved him to be uh, bipolar. Um, but he is, he, okay, we're gonna make a decree and then I'm gonna disobey and then we're gonna make a decree. And, and what happens is he is, uh, God lets him go crazy and he's driven away from the people to the point where he eats grass, just like it said, literally says he ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky. Uh, but then at this one point, God delivers his sanity back to him. And if you look at verse 34, uh, there's really two places here that become the key verses uh, of, of Daniel. It's, it's chapter four, uh, verse 34 through 34. And then again in chapter 6, verses 25 through 38, uh, 25 through 28, um, Nebuchadnezzar is coming to the end of his days. Uh, or those days, and, and his sanity is returned to him, and he looks uh, to, to God, he looks toward heaven, and he, and he says, Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? If you'll turn real quick to chapter six, look at chapter six and look at verses 25 through 28. This is Darius. Darius wrote to those of people, different people, nations, and languages who lived on the whole. He said, may your prosperity abound. I'm going to issue this decree uh, about the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel for the power of the lions. The main character in Daniel is Daniel, but the people who, who deliver the key messages are the lost. Daniel is the main character, and we see God move powerfully through Daniel. We see God move powerfully through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if there were people that deliver the theme message of the book of Daniel, it's these two kings whose hearts are far from God. And here's what they're saying. This God that these guys serve, he's sovereign. This God that these men are attesting to, are testifying to, who, who seems to be protecting them at all costs, that's the guy that's really in charge. I'm, I'm the king and I want to be in charge and I want to call the shots and I'm going to throw my weight around as much as possible. But that God, that God's sovereign. 
And if there is a theme throughout the book of Daniel, it is the sovereignty of God and it is played through the people whose hearts are far from him. I preached a sermon one time a while back and, and it was, it was, the title was John or Judas. And the, and the, the point of the message was your God, your, your life is going to give God glory. Your life is going to somehow, whether it's directly or indirectly, it's going to give God glory. Why? Because that's what we were created for. Judas's life gave God glory because Judas ended up being a part of taking Jesus to the cross. Jesus was crucified. His, crucified, his crucifixion led to my salvation. John's life brought God glory because John's relationship with Christ and John was the beloved and John told his story and John uh, took the message, the gospel, uh, to different parts of the earth. He, he wrote four books of our, of our New Testament. Um, would you rather your life give God glory like Jesus or would you rather get your life give God glory like John? doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. Um, but it, it's going to, but what, what's your preference? Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, or Darius? Their lives are going to give God glory, but which path would you rather take? Which journey would you rather be on? Just a thought to think about. Chapter 5 is Belshazzar in the handwriting on the wall. If you're, having, uh, if you're able to jot a little bit of notes there, um, it, it's interesting that there are a couple of different times where um, the, the finger, uh, it's, it's called the finger of God. It was the finger of God that, that wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, it was the finger of God that led the people out of Exodus. There are a couple of different times where the finger of God is spoken about figuratively, and there are several times where that phrase, the, figure of, the finger of God, is spoken about literally. But here's what's happening is it says that Belshazzar sees the finger of God writing on the wall and it's basically about his demise and his face goes pale. He soils himself and his knees are knocking. His wise counsel, they have no answers. Uh, and then he has this experience where Daniel uh, tells him the interpretation. It's about his demise and everything comes to fruition and we go into the next ruler. Rulers are like, you know, we're just chewing them up and spitting them out because God's saying, I'm the one who's sovereign and I'm the one who's going to keep going here. It does matter, but it doesn't matter who's president. It, it does matter and it doesn't matter who our senators and who our congressmen are. Love politics, love it think it's vital, think it's important. But when I compare Joe Biden's leadership, when I compare Donald Trump's leadership, when I go and I, and I compare them to the sovereignty of God, there is no question. And it's hard because especially when you disagree and especially when life seems hard and, and these things, and those are things that we need to talk about and they matter. But when you compare them side by side, there is no comparison. God is still on the throne and God is still sovereign. And we are called to abide by his word. This is how we make our decisions. And then chapter six is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And then when you go past chapter six, you begin to go into a path, a, a, a part of Daniel that has not only to do with their culture and their time, but you begin this relationship with another book of the Bible. You cannot study and understand Revelation without studying and understanding Daniel. And you really can't understand Daniel fully. Is that too far-fetched? 
Karen, you really can't understand Daniel without studying and, and, and beginning to understand Revelation. Um, and I'm not one that has all those answers. And so, oh my gosh, we're out of time. Um, so, no. Um, but I will recommend this. Uh, this is probably my the second or third copy I've bought it for myself because I loaned it out. But it's called Agents of Babylon, and it's by David Jeremiah. And it very much focuses on the last several chapters. If you don't know who David Jeremiah is, I encourage you to listen uh, and make him one of your podcast-type uh, things and, and pick up his books. Um, very, very incredible preacher. I, I enjoy him immensely. Um, but this is a book that is focused uh, about the, on the prophecies, and it's a great, uh, a great tie from Daniel to Revelation. The last thing I want to do is I just want to look at chapter nine, and I want to I want to read this over you. And I know that being read to is not the, the most thrilling thing in the world, but this is Daniel's prayer. He's, we've gone from the stories, he's had some visions, but then he begins to, to pray. And I just, I want you to hear it, and I, I've, as stupid as this may sound, I, I sat in my office and I practiced this for a little while today. Because I just, I firmly believe, number one, in reading scripture out loud. I think there's something that happens inside of us when we hear scripture. And I also think it brings it alive. These are things that they said. These are things that were said to them. And Daniel says, uh, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We acted wickedly. We rebelled. We turned away from your commands and your ordinances. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our leaders, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and really all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you've banished us because of the disloyalty they've shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we've sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and haven't obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law. All Israel has turned away refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, that curse has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. He's carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept disaster in mind and brought it on us for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we haven't obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand, 
Lord our God, made your name renowned as it is to this day. We have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. May it turn away from your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Can you hear his passion? Can you hear him crying out for the people and the city and the nation that he loves. Can you hear his passion for a holy God, a righteous God? And as I read that, and I looked it, and then I read it again, and then I practiced it out loud, and I'm sitting there, and I'm in my office, and I've shut my door because I'm starting to weep, because the only thing that comes on me is, when is the last time When is the last time I was broken for my people, for my city, for my nation, for my world? And we talk about praying scripture. And you can sense that Daniel is talking in front of the people because he keeps saying we and he keeps referring to the Lord. But this is recognized as Daniel's prayer in the midst of his visions and in the midst of his prophecies. And I'm sitting here and I don't need to go verse by verse and I don't have the energy to take you through what all this means because I think it's pretty straightforward. This is basically Daniel pleading on behalf of the people of God, please forgive us because our hearts are from you and draw us back so we can be useful for your glory again. Every time we have staff meeting, I pray something very similar to this. Lord, thank you for being at work and just please don't stop. Because I'm seeing too many places where it's either the people have walked away from God or God has taken his hand off that church. May that never be our testimony. May we continue to walk with God so that God will entrust the outpouring of his presence in our midst. I just want you to take some time at your tables tonight. And I, want, I want you to close in prayer. And I just want you to ask, I want you to do two things. I want you to maybe share a prayer request here or there. But I mainly want you to say, thank you, Lord. And thank him for something specific. Thank him for something specific that you see him doing. And then just somebody say, and Lord, just keep it going. Just ask him to stay at work amongst his people. You pray as you feel led, and then I'll close this in just a few minutes. On your mark, get set, go.
Father, I love what I love what Daniel has made so very clear in chapter two that there isn't a wise man, medium, magician, or diviner who's able to make known to the king the mystery. Father, I think it's it's our testimony. I don't think it is our testimony as well that there is. There is no man, there is no woman, there is no individual, there are no random set of circumstances that could accomplish what you are doing in and through this place. It is you and you alone, God. Your hand is, is moving, you are at work. We are simply your people, we are your servants, we are here to do what you've asked us to do, to join you where you are at work as we, as we love this church, as we love this community, as we seek to reach and love and serve the people of Brevard County and beyond. It is you that are doing the changing, it is you that are doing the impacting. You are the one who gets the glory. Help us to be like Daniel and to give you that glory. Father, lead us to repentance when we need to be brought back to you. May we be a people that is different, that is set apart, that is holy, and therefore drawing people and pointing them to you. May that be our testimony because it is certainly our heart's cry. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Hopefully we'll see you this weekend at the intensive. Uh, if not, we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.